Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to The Hook. Supported by our corner men and women over at Paddy Power. In today's episode, will Tyson show brother Tommy how to really get the job done? Will Nganu land that knockout punch? We're in Saudi Arabia for all the big fight build-up. I'm Alex McCarthy. I'm Charlotte Daly. And this is The Hook. Charlotte, you're in the thick of the action over there in Saudi Arabia. Tyson Fury against MMA superstar Francis Ngannou. It's fight week in Saudi Arabia. What have you been up to? Yeah, well, it is day two in Saudi Arabia for me. I landed late on Sunday evening, but it feels like I have been here for weeks. Um, the atmosphere is really picking up and I have to say the temperature is absolutely scorching. Sorry for all you English fans at home listening to this in the rain, but it is beautiful here. Um, everywhere there's advertising for the Francis and Fury fight. It's really picking up. Every single taxi driver I've had so far has been picking my brains about the fight. So it's safe to say everyone's gearing up towards it. I've had a busy day yesterday. I sat down exclusively with Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou and spoke to Frank Warren. So all of that content will be landing on Male Sports YouTube channel soon, but there's plenty more of that to come over the course of the week. Well, I was going to say, you've got a lot more chats coming this week, which you'll be able to hear on The Jab on Friday, which, of course, will be ahead of Nganu and Fury at the weekend. You know, I'm sitting here in this podcast studio at Daily Mail. You're in a palace in Saudi Arabia, basically. Um, do you feel like Saudi Arabia is becoming a bit of a hub for the sport with Fury securing not only this fight in the country, but also Usyk in December for the undisputed heavyweight title? You know, we've seen Saudi get their grips in a lot of sports, but is boxing kind of really taking a steer towards there, being spearheaded by Tyson Fury? Absolutely. I mean, they're doing everything they can possible here in Saudi Arabia to promote this fight and make it as big as possible. You know, I was on the way here and my taxi driver was telling me about the infrastructure they've put up for this fight. Now, the actual stadium itself was put up in 60 days. They built the stadium in 60 days. They've also created a um, mall, which has lots of 
food places, restaurants, shops, everything all geared towards the fight. I think they're calling it um, the Boulevard. And that's going to be open as soon as Riyadh season opens on the 28th of October. So they're really creating this kind of bubble here in Saudi Arabia to create the hype and kind of bring people in, especially tourists. They want as many tourists as possible. They've made that really clear since being here. Um, and you can see the treatment of Tyson and Francis is, is unbelievable. All you have to do is go to Tyson Fury's hotel and outside there's about six minivans with Riyadh season, Battle of the Baddest, Tyson Fury, all plastered on the outside. And the hotel itself is spectacular, you know, waiting for our interview the other day it was just ring down to reception and you know Tyson would like a diet Pepsi it's brought up to him different things like that they're really kind of taking care of the boxers and you can see that they really want to kind of make Saudi Arabia a boxing hub diet Pepsi on fight week huh oh yeah giving away all the secrets now he'll never forgive me (laughs) that's it fury diet revealed on mail online today yeah, podcast one, and I'm already banned from talking to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, his agent's going to be on to you. Um, it's funny, though, because we, we talk about the, the sports that have been, you know, dealing with Saudi Arabia. And I know that WWE, from my reporting in the past, has been going there for a number of years now, is in fact there the week after Fury and Ngannou. Now, they get, you know, the, the performers get paid an exorbitant amount to go over and do those shows. So that's what really attracts them over there. But in the beginning, women weren't even allowed to wrestle on those shows, right? Like the, the laws in Saudi Arabia were still very kind of draconian to many people. Um, and now you do get women fighting on the shows for WWE in the last couple of years. Of course, you're there now reporting for us on one of the biggest fights in the world this year. How have you been made to feel welcome in the country thus far? Yeah, do you know what? It's, it's something people asked me about a lot before I actually came over here. They said, you know, how are you feeling about going over? And I spoke quite closely to some people that had already been over to Saudi to kind of get their opinion before they came out. And um, they said they were treated nothing but well as soon as they arrived. And even as soon as I got to the airport, this taxi driver that I'm loving talking about, um, he was trying to make me feel super comfortable in the taxi saying that, you know, you're safe here and we welcome you here. And, you know, it's okay to walk around wearing your Western clothing and things like that. Um, and I have to say, I haven't felt intimidated or threatened, you know, once since being here. It's been, it's been great. And so far, I mean, I'm on day two, but I've absolutely loved my experience um so so it's interesting but of course i am in a boxing bubble at the moment so that does need to be kind of taken into consideration but at the moment yeah nothing but praise from me so far speaking of that boxing bubble before we hear from some of the fighters on this show uh what was the mood like when you saw them both yesterday Uh, obviously early into the fight week but from what i've heard it seemed like they were pretty relaxed Oh yeah, absolutely. You you wouldn't be able to tell that it was fight week. They were both in great spirits. Tyson, of course, coming out with some wonderful one-liners. Like I was setting up my camera in the room next door before I went in to interview him and I could hear him in the building before I saw him. He was coming up the stairs. He was joking, laughing. He had his um, furious 
what is it? Fury City, Furiosity. His Furiosity. brand. Um, yeah, he was cracking cans of that open and getting everyone to try it and stuff like that. So yeah, he was in great spirits. Um, Francis the same. He's really looking forward to this fight week. I think, you know, he's been very humble about the whole thing, but you can tell he's, he's very excited. But with all the noise in the build up, how do the fighters keep their mind on the job? It's not something that Tyson Fury seems to have much of trouble with, though. We're all human beings and we've all got two arms and two legs. And I think everybody's got their own uh, destiny and future in their own hands. And the, my belief system, I think, is different to everybody else's. Because if, somebody's, if there's a statistic out there that says something can't be done, then 99% of people will believe it. It can't be done because it says so on the screen or it says so in that book. But for me, I've never had a book in my life and I don't listen to anything that someone else says unless I can, I've seen it from my own two eyes and self. So if someone says something can't be done, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and do it because somebody said I can't. So yeah, a lot of these fighters today, the training with like heart monitors on, they're all on screens and all taking numbers and stuff. If that thing's telling me that my heart's going too fast, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go even faster. I'm going to push myself harder. I'm not going to listen to a machine because I'm a human. I come out of my mother's womb believing I could be world heavyweight champion. But don't ever think that I did this on my own. I'm just a normal, very, very flawed human being. Hmm, I don't know if he's a, a, a textbook normal human being, six foot nine heavyweight champion of the world. Um, but it's interesting, Charlotte, the way he, he talks about himself and he evaluates how he's got to the place that he is today um you know we all know that he's been through his struggles and the mental health ups and downs and then he kind of fought his way back to one of the greatest comebacks in in modern memory physically speaking and mentally um you know i guess he he does have a special mindset when you think about it yeah i mean tyson's got this amazing charisma and personality that i think humanizes him and makes him feel relatable i think the way he speaks so openly about his mental health really resonates with people and credit to him for that he's probably helped a lot of people and you know broken down the stigma around mental health um but when it comes to him as a boxer there's nothing normal about him i mean the mindset you have to have to be a professional athlete is completely different to the average joe i mean the commitment is off the charts being an athlete isn't a nine to five job you know you have to think about your sleep and your nutrition you can never kind of clock off so to say he's a normal person I, I don't think that's true but I do think he is a traditional boxer in the sense of he goes to the gym with his pals he doesn't have the technology you know he's not relying on all of that that potentially the younger generation have now so i agree i think he's more of a traditional boxer but uh, i find it hard to say he's a normal person <laughs> <laughs> yeah normal by that stretch of the word i mean it, but again if we're talking about what fury has accomplished and what he's done pretty much everything he's set his mind to thus far he has achieved and he's done it his way like if you were to build a boxer from the ground up i guess many people would look at anthony joshua right like an absolute brick house and you know great size and reach and all of this stuff whereas fury himself has as he has made fun of his own shape down the years but he went to germany and beat klitschko for the heavyweight title he went to america and beat Deontay wilder for the heavyweight title like as far as he's concerned 
if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. And it certainly ain't broke because he, everything he's ever put his mind to, he's done. So I understand why he thinks that, you know, whatever I'm doing is the right way and there's nothing special about me. I just go and do it. But there's a lot special <laughs> about Tyson Fury we should, you know, take into account. And it's not just his size, it's his incredible boxing IQ and his dedication to the sport. I don't, for casual fans, don't let his body fool you, right? Like this is a dedicated man who is in great ring shape. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said there just about comparing him to other heavyweights and stuff. I think that aspect of what he's been through in terms of his mental health is why he's so confident within himself. I mean, for those of you who don't know, after that Klitschko fight, Tyson kind of stepped away from the ring. He had two and a half years out, but during that time, he slumped into a deep depression. He ballooned to 28 stone. You know, Eddie Hearn was talking about seeing him during that period the other day, and he said he could hardly speak and he was sweating so much. He was just in such a bad way. He managed to shed all of that weight, come back and become a heavyweight champion. I mean, that is sensational. And I honestly think if you go to the darkest point of your life like he has and you, you're able to come back and not only box again, but become a heavyweight champion, of course you're going to believe in yourself. Why would you not? If you can do that, you can do anything, right? Yeah, whether, you know, and the public kind of goes back and forth on this, whether you believe everything that comes out of Tyson Fury's mouth or not, and that's, you know, more promotionally led than anything else. But whether you do or you don't, it is inspirational that he came from his darkest depths to reclaim everything that he lost and write another amazing chapter in 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 what will be one of the great sporting legacies in this country um but you know again he's had all of those hurdles all of those obstacles to overcome francis and garnu's had plenty of those as well um he's gone from fleeing his home country in cameroon to being homeless in paris uh, to joining the mma world you know and, and he's about to pick up his biggest payday in saudi arabia what do you think it means to him my biggest joy sometimes is just to look at us. I'm like, man, we are secure. We don't have to worry about all those stuff anymore. We don't have to worry about what to eat. We don't have to worry about clothes on our back or shoes on our feet. We don't have to worry about if ever somebody gets sick. Obviously, uh, they don't treat death, but at least they treat illness, right? So we have those security now. Uh, which is something that I have been worried about. We have been worried about our entire life. My dad passed away uh, at home. Uh, he was sick for months and uh, couldn't even go to the hospital because we couldn't afford it. And as a young kid, I was we was just around looking at it and be powerless, you know. And then for so many years, you think about like, okay, whatever, if something like that happened again, whether it's to your mom or or one of your sibling, and you will still be powerless. Like, when can we, can you be uh, powerful enough to uh, to change things, to to do something uh, when needed? You know, and then over the years, you get to the point that you're like, uh, I think I get this. You know, that means a lot. That's the Francis Ngannou talking there about just his journey and what he's been able to achieve by arriving at a fight like this post an MMA career, which wasn't half as lucrative, but damn, damn sure impressive. Uh, you know, I know the Francis Ngannou story well from covering him in MMA, but I know you've gotten into it as well, Charlotte. And his journey from Africa now to the one of the biggest showdowns of the year in Saudi Arabia is qu quite incredible. 
Yeah, I mean, I've had the pleasure of sitting down with Francis in London, in Las Vegas, and now in Saudi Arabia. And every time I'm blown away by how humble he is and how happy he is just to have this opportunity. And I know people say that all the time, but he really means it. And you can feel that from him. And even after interviews, you know, he's thanking me for talking to him, whereas I'm the one thinking, no, thank you for giving me your time sort of thing. You're a big deal. Um, but yeah, you know, he's spoken in great depths about his um, journey to where he is now. You know, he grew up in a small Cameroonian village and was raised by a single mum. You know, he had to walk six miles to go to school every day and was digging sand mines when he was about 10 years old. So he's not had it easy. And um, he had to flee Cameroon to be able to get the opportunities he wanted. You know, he always said that he wanted to be in fight sports and he couldn't do that over in Cameroon. So he tried to row across the sea to um, Spain. He eventually got in, um, but he was taken in by the police. He had to spend two months in jail before he managed to escape that and head over to France where, you know, he was living homeless in Paris. And it was only until he was taken in by a gym that um, he kind of got a roof over his head. You know, he was telling me about he would always know where he would have to go to homeless shelters to pick up his breakfast and his dinner and that he was trying to keep his food up so he'd be able to train and he could you know, go for runs and keep his fitness up because he was knocking on doors after doors after doors in France saying to people, I want to show you what I'm capable of. And they were all saying, okay, but you have to pay this much to join the gym. And he's going, well, I have no money. And it was only eventually when one very kind trainer took him in and decided you know what I see a future in you and he started boxing but he actually moved to MMA under the guidance of his trainer because they said that it would be quicker for him to make money more cash in hand faster so that's why he ended up going down the MMA route instead of boxing which was actually his first love yeah I mean the the thing with Francis is like you said it was a slow start in France trying to get on his feet and he wanted to be a boxer and then he goes to MMA by the time he makes it to the UFC, which is only about six fights into his career, if I'm not mistaken, uh, eight actually, he goes on this tear where everyone just becomes this nightmare knockout puncher. Now, that's where the battle of the baddest, this tagline that they're pushing for this fight comes from. He holds the world record for the hardest punch in the world, right? Now, let me let me take my time to tell you about this. He hits you as hard as a Ford Escort car, Escort, going as fast as it can. Drink that in for a second. You've got Francis Ngannou in front of you, punching you, or getting run down by a car. Same thing. Same amount of power. He got this record by uh, hitting machines at UFC's Performance Institute. Now, it's also the same force as somebody hitting you with a sledgehammer overhead with all their might. Imagine, (laughs) just, you know, you're standing there, sledgehammer, as far back as you can, and you whack someone. That's as hard as being punched by him. Both of those sound like death to me. That sounds like instant death. And yet, Francis Ngannou's out here being paid to hit people. It's quite incredible. Um, But he goes on this tear in the UFC. Uh, he, He loses twice to Derek Lewis and Stipe Miocic, the latter of whom is one of the heavyweight goats, if not the heavyweight goat. and. The way both of them beat him, Charlotte, was basically smothering him, right? They couldn't stand and trade with him, as Miocic later learned when they rematched. Um, 
they couldn't do that. So they had to wrestle him to the ground. They had to negate the incredible power advantage that Ngannou had. Now, after that, he would go, He would well, he would fight six more times before departing UFC acrimoniously. We'll get to that shortly. Four of those were first round knockouts. Three of them were inside 45 seconds, right? This is how powerful this man is. He romped his way to the UFC heavyweight title. He defended it against Cyril Garn with a bad knee and still managed to come out and leave with the belt, leave the UFC on his terms. And Dana White, the UFC president, could not offer him enough money, or he wouldn't offer him enough money, I should say. Ngani would probably say that. Um, and he left on his terms, and now he's got the biggest payday he could possibly imagine. And that last fight with Garn, with the defense, he made a paltry, and I say paltry in the world of combat sports and box office, 600 grand, right? Now, Tyson Fury in his last fight made how much? 30 million? The difference is just wild, isn't it? I actually think, though, credit to Ngannou, though, for actually walking away and doing it. You know, that that takes guts to walk away from being UFC heavyweight champion and getting paydays to say, I want to forge a career in boxing. And yes, okay, you talk through all of his power stats there and they are impressive and they are, you know, threatening, but you have to land a punch. That's the problem. And I think that's what we're going to see on Saturday night, that Fury's elusive. He's hard to hit. He always has been. He's very good defensively. And, you know, his Fury's footwork is good when it comes to the ring. His IQ is high. I think it's going to be hard for someone like Francis to catch him. And, you know, everyone's given it the whole, okay, well, if Francis catches him, that's it for Fury. But I think it's harder for him to catch and people are making out. Of course it is. I mean, that was pretty much the whole premise of Fury versus Wilder. Like, Wilder had the knockout punch that nobody could take in the division, and Fury was the one who worked out, you know, the distance. I mean, he got knocked down a few times, for sure, but um, he was the one who was able to tame him, and that was the luster of the fight. Can you stand the power of Jonte Wilder? Now, the question is here, Ngannou has the most power of anyone in the world. Like, calibrated, we know that. Um, the man has gone from being in jail for trying to enter a country to headlining the biggest fight of the year in Saudi Arabia, decorated in MMA, first time boxing match. That is something important to remember about this. But I think the way he's done it and the journey that he's been on, a lot of people are rooting for him to succeed. You I know, mean, let's take Denzel Walsh here on YouTube has said, uh, well done, Francis. You took a chance leaving UFC and you made it work. Surely with all that, his mindset is probably as strong as Fury's. I think that's a very good point. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't agree more. Um, we also had Dev on YouTube. I hope this kid does good. I don't think much about heavyweights of this era and hopefully he connects on Fury. A bit harsh on the other heavyweights, is it not? You know, saying that Ngannou's a true heavyweight boxer? Sure. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see how they feel about that. But anyway, so we know where Francis is at mentally, but what about the physical battle between these two? I mean, it's clear that Tyson Fury is preparing for this fight as he would any other fight, and that means embracing all nature has given to him. Listen, it's good to have a good body. I'd love to have a good body, but I don't have any hope of having a good body. I've been training well over 20 years, and I still haven't got a good body. I've been in a training camp living like a monk, for the past 12 weeks, and I don't have a good body now. I didn't have a good body when I was in my teens, so never mind it, clocking on to 40 years old. <laughs> but the one thing I've learned is 
this is not a bodybuilding contest. Mm-hmm. And although I don't look like a man who can do a long distance or a run for 20 mile or whatever, I am a man who can do that. And I think of myself as like a, a really old fashioned type of a fella who can go in there and have a fight and doesn't really matter what I look like because it's about getting the victory. So if I had a 10-pack and I looked like an Adonis, completely unbelievable, but I wasn't winning, it'd be pointless. Yeah. So I don't really care about being fat. I actually embrace being fat because my love handles as what separates me from the rest of the world ever in history. There's never been anybody like me, and there never will be. It's what makes me so tough. It what makes me what makes me me. And if you could say to me, right, Tyson, we'll give you the opportunity to get rid of the, the fat on you, and we'll give you a, a full six pack abs and everything. I wouldn't take it because that's not me. Mm-hmm. I'm fat now. I was fat as a baby, and I'll be fat on my deathbed. <laughs> and that's the thing. We're all fat. Yui's fat. Shane's fat. My dad's fat. Even my mum's fat. <laughs> Hope she's not watching it. Yeah, yeah. we'll be in trouble for that one. We're, we're, we're a fat family. Yeah. <laughs> uh, might be in trouble for that one. He might. Um, I, I do agree with him, though, that like he, he, he kind of is perfectly built as the fighter that he is because I, and I've spoken to AJ before where he's like, you know, I dropped a stone for this fight because it makes such a difference in the engine and all of this stuff. And, and I'm sure it does, right? But Fury is just as kind of fleet-footed no matter what he is, right? Like his style, the way he gets about the ring, he shouldn't be able to move as well as he does for six foot nine, X amount of stone. But he is. He's like the slickest heavyweight in the division and the biggest. That's what makes it so unfair. Um, Again, he's a freak of nature in that regard, that for all these physical tools that he's been given, he's lost no mobility or slickness. Yeah, absolutely. I've said it earlier and I'll say it again. Tyson Fury is one of, if not the most durable heavyweight on the scene at the moment. He can last better than Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder. You name a heavyweight, he can last better than them. He doesn't look like he should. You know, AJ's up there with his chiseled six pack when he's weighing in. Tyson's there with his, you know, beloved love handles. Um, But he is, he's durable. It makes him dangerous in the latter rounds of fights. And I think that, you know, Francis is going to see that on the weekend. And as I said before, Fury's got great footwork when he's in the ring. And you pair that with the ring IQ he has, and he's hard to hit. But I don't want, you know, Fury to start trying to fool people thinking that because he's got these love handles and he doesn't have a six pack that he's not working hard in the gym. You know, it's far from that. I think that if he was to put on a load of muscle, it would slow him down and it would kind of negate all those things that I said are great about him. He works really hard with Christian Blacklock, who's his S&C coach, um, to get the perfect balance. And, you know, I actually went down to his gym down in Morecambe and got put through my paces um, in an S&C session, which if you want a good laugh, there's a video of it on the Mail Online. Honestly, I'll never live it down. Um, But yeah, he gets the majority of his conditioning through sparring sessions. But Christian was telling me that how he does drills at the start of the camp before he's allowed to pick up any gloves so for two weeks before he picks up any gloves it's just pure fitness which I think is why he's so durable he also said that you know Fury goes for a long run once a week to keep himself ticking over and then he does two strength-based sessions a week during camp which you know if you add all that up it's pretty good going um 
He was also talking about the fact that he obviously works really heavily on his upper body strength so that he can throw, you know, 150 plus punches around. And something which I think the viewers may or may not believe is actually Tyson's pretty strong when it comes to his legs. He looks top heavy, but he's pretty strong on his bottom half. You know, Christian was telling me that he's deadlifting 220 kg. You know, he's a strong guy. So don't let the love handles fool you. You know, he puts the work in in the gym. It's not just luck that he happens to be that fit. Well, I like the point you made about the muscle. Uh, Lee Kirkman said on YouTube to one of our videos, Fury doesn't want too much muscle because it makes you slower. God, it's like he's like he read your mind. Muscle is weight. That's what slows down a lot of heavyweights. And of course, AJ famously, after the second Usyk loss, talking about how, how big and heavy he is and he can't throw X amount of punches around as a result of that. But you're right. Fury kind of continues to defy that. and. You know, he's going to be faced against kind of the polar opposite of what we're talking about on Saturday. Francis Ngannou is a stud. He is huge, big, powerful man, right? If you've ever seen one, he's absolutely formidable, intimidating. And, uh, you know, but is he going to have the skill that Tyson Fury does? That's that's where the equalizer. Do you know what? I posed that to... Francis, I said to him about the fact that, you know, fans are kind of worried having watched some of his videos from the open workout that he looks a little bit slow and that, you know, Tyson's going to see his punches coming a mile off. Um, And it was interesting. Francis's reply was that, you know, I made it to UFC heavyweight champion throwing punches and I was this build. So it's not like I've put on all of this weight for this fight against Tyson Fury. This is how I operate. I operate at this kind of weight and at this stature. So he's saying he's well used to it. He's saying he has the fitness. He's saying that he's done the sparring sessions and the fitness sessions to make sure that he is durable in a ring rather than, you know, an octagon sort of thing. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I do worry about... um Francis's speed. Well, you and anyone who doesn't know should take a little trip on YouTube and see some of his most devastating knockouts in UFC because I can promise you they did not see those punches coming. This is a dangerous man. Uh, but he's again, he's, he's faced against Fury and hitting him is going to be half the battle. It was a great chat that you had together. To watch Charlotte's exclusive interview with Tyson Fury in full, make sure you head to the new Mayo Sport Boxing channel on YouTube and make sure you subscribe while you're there. Uh, coming up shortly, we'll hear from promoter extraordinaire, Frank Warren. Now, as anyone with even a fleeting interest in fight sports knows, you need a great corner man or woman, and the hook is no different. I'd like to introduce you to our pal and male sports colleague, Alex Biddle, who's going to be helping us with this week's Paddy Power Big Fight Challenge. Alex, what's happening? Hi Alex, hey Charlotte. Right, here's how it works. Each week for Paddy Power's Big Fight Challenge, you two get to predict the big fight. You each get one £10 bet from Paddy Power. Every penny you win goes straight to charity, but choose wisely. There's a serious leaderboard bragging rights at stake too. All you need to know about this, Alex, is that I told Charlotte last week Tommy Fury would not get a knockout victory. I should have had money on that, Charlotte. Whoa, don't throw me under the bus. This is only episode one, okay? But all you need to know is I get seriously competitive and I'm not losing. (laughs) I'm just trying to win. Look, I'm trying to get a head start. And you know what? I'm going to play it safe with no knockouts this week as well. I mean, I think I'm going to play it safe. I think Fury's going to win on points. Uh, What can I get for that? Decent, actually. About five to one. Hmm. 
I think uh, I just don't think there's going to be any knockouts. If you ask me, boring. Oh, it's meant to be the baddest fight, <laughs> the battle of the baddest. But uh, I think it's the battle to points. Um, Charlotte, what about you? Mm, okay, well, if Alex is going to be super cautious, I'm going to put my neck out on the line a little bit more. What about three or more knockdowns in total, or just for Tyson? I think Tyson would have my head if I said that it was three for him. So I'm going in total. Okay. Well, for that, you can get two to one. Yeah, okay. That would do me nicely. Thanks. Well, consider it done. Paddy Power is running an offer for the fight. Place a hashtag what odds Paddy bets on the fight and get a free sportsbook bet. Remember, all odds are correct at the time of recording. Terms and conditions apply, which can be found in the description of this podcast, wherever you downloaded it from. Please gamble responsibly. I'll be back next week to see who will be the reigning champ and whether the challenger has anything left in the tank for another bet. Thanks, Alex. Welcome back to The Hook. Alex McCarthy here, sports news editor for Mail Online, being flanked by Charlotte Daly, our boots on the ground in Saudi Arabia, our lead boxing reporter. Listen, this is a big crossover fight, probably the biggest since Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor back in 2017. Um, You know, I've, I've seen Dana White talk about how this isn't the same world as Mayweather and McGregor. But this is legitimately a huge fight because heavyweights do move people. They do sell seats. They do sell pay-per-views. What do you make of these crossover fights? Are they just for special occasions? Like, you know, the four men we've just mentioned, of course, are all big stars in their own right. Like, where is the attraction? And do you think they still have a place within the sport, Charlotte? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one. I mean, I think... Tyson Fury brings a lot of personality so he's selling this fight massively I think the difference is that Mayweather and McGregor McGregor was also a personality in his own right some would say an even bigger personality Um, so he brought in the business for that whereas Francis is slightly more unknown um, or not unknown a lesser personality so it's hard to say which one's bigger but I think they both have interest. I think the reason why this works is because they're two athletes at the top of their respective fields. You know, you've got a boxing heavyweight and you've got a former UFC heavyweight. I think the difficulty is when you get the likes of misfits or you get boxers fighting against YouTubers. I think that's when things start to go a little bit south for me, only because I think it then blurs the line between the sport and sports entertainment you know I think Tyson Fury fighting Francis Ngannou still is credible because of what they've both achieved whereas if it's Tyson Fury fighting a YouTuber that doesn't work for me yeah exactly and I mean both of them are still in their mid-30s I mean Ngannou is only you know a year and a half I think removed of being the UFC world heavyweight champion and probably still would be had he not decided to leave at the expiration of his contract. Um, you know, how this fight came together is Ngannou, his free agency was being talked about a lot, right, down down the home stretch of his UFC career. And he took the Garn fight. He Everyone knew that it was going to be expiring, I think, on New Year's Eve um, and that he could walk, but he was definitely going to do this final fight. And he had an injured knee heading into that. Now, the ironic thing is he didn't knock out Cyril Garn. He actually smothered him the same way that the guys had beaten him in the UFC. Um, and because he couldn't really do much more because he had a bad knee. And, and in that, yeah, having a bad wheel, it's very hard to plant your feet, get your power off, um, which is obviously in Garnu's number one game. 
And then obviously he needed to have surgery on said knee. So even though he got in the ring with Fury at Dillian White, we all knew that that fight wasn't like imminent, despite the fact that they were teasing it. Um, both of it had it. Both of them had it in the back of their not, mind. But it's fair to say, Charlotte, if Ngannou was recovering and waiting for his moment to get the Fury fight, we had all of these negotiations, right? That Fury Usyk, Fury Joshua. It's probably fair to say that he knew all along that when Ngannou was healthy again and when the right offer came, that was going to be his next port of call. Yeah, the heavyweight headache that it has been over the last couple of months of trying to get fights organised, arranged, agreed and actually happen. Um, yeah, I, I do think you're right. I think Tyson Fury is much smarter than people believe. You know, he knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to negotiations. And personally, I think he's mapped it out perfectly for himself. He's getting a massive payday for fighting Francis Ngannou. He's getting a massive payday for them fighting Usyk next. And then in the new year, Eddie Hearn's even talking about an AJ Fury fight. That will be another massive payday. So, you know, credit to him. You almost have to take your hat off, even though it frustrates fans. And, you know, we would have likened to see the Usyk fight first. Um, he knew that he could get all three of them. Look, Tyson Fury is a man who said, AJ, I'm only going to fight you if it's, you know, on free TV. I'm only going to fight you if it's free for people to come to Wembley. And, you know, all of these things about, oh, there's not enough interest in Usyk. There's no money in fighting Usyk. Um, he said all of those things and he's ended up obviously getting the Usyk fight in Saudi Arabia. He's played it perfectly. And Garnu first, onto that, could have AJ, if you believe Eddie Hearn, for a hundred million a piece per fighter next year, if he does that, it is the perfect semblance. It is the perfect sequence, I should say. And you have to say that Fury has been a a genius, basically. Like I, I, I was so frustrated with all of these negotiations, and I was starting to think it has to be him. And maybe it was. Maybe it was him that was like delaying the tactics or making things unattainable and whilst not quite like Mayweather Pacquiao all those years ago, where they delayed, 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 and they ended up getting there. And although, you know, it, it, athletically, that might have been a better fight three years ago, financially, it was good when it came. Just still the richest one to ever take place in boxing. So perhaps Fury and Joshua would be the same line of thinking. And I will, you'll never hear me uh, be angry at a fighter making money, right? More power to them. And Fury's about to make a boatload of it. And you have to say, his tactics, as frustrating as they are, have been absolutely spot on. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Um, but how does the Queensbury promoter see it? You know, I caught up with the man behind Tyson Fury's media machine, Frank Warren, who doesn't find the comparison between YouTubers and MMA, MMA fighters a flattering one. He is a professional, you know, professional boxer. He doesn't sit behind a, a keyboard for a living, and he's not a prankster. This guy has been a professional fighter in his field, MMA fighter, since God knows how many years. And look at look at his journey that he's had, where he's come from, the way he's got here. You know, I mean, everything's been tough. So this is a real tough guy who's the best at his discipline, UFC. That's Frank Warren talking to Charlotte in Saudi Arabia. And do remember that you can catch all of those interviews on Male Sport Boxing on our YouTube channel. Um, he makes a pretty good point regarding the kind of fighters between boxers and what we saw at Misfits yesterday, uh, last week. Influencers doing, you know, masquerading as boxers 
essentially. But what misfits and you know that style of boxing promises, I suppose, is different to a professional boxing card, is it not? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you take that misfits card in Manchester last week, I think the number of subscribers that the entire card had was over two two hundred million. I mean. I get why they do it. You know, they can tap into a whole new audience and bring a whole new set of eyeballs to boxing. But I think there's a fine line between the way that they act. You know, you spoke about it there, the fact that Misfits and this crossover style is all about the chaos that it brings, right? That's what they sell. That's how they get bums on seat, eyeballs on screens. But I think that it crosses the line way too many times. We saw it with Dylan Dennis and Logan Paul, the mass brawl that broke out at the end. You know, we saw it with Daniela Hemsley last time when she lifted up her sports bra. It just undermines and dilutes the authenticity of traditional boxing. And I, and I think that's where the problem is. But there is an essence of it in traditional boxing. I mean, take Tyson Fury, for example. He's unbelievable at selling a fight. You know, they do the same things. They sell it in the same sort of way. But it's just that Misfits crosses a line when traditional boxing, most of the time, doesn't. Yeah, well, I would assume, you know, for some of these, you know, we've had pound for pound great fights this year, you know, Crawford and Spence. And you think people are are tuning in for like the artistry that is professional boxing. Whereas with Misfits, I think you're tuning in for the carnage. You just rattled off some uh, examples there. They're always trying to kind of push the bar again and again, right? And And to the point of... How bad can it get? You know, the last time we just saw Dylan Dennis, he hit Logan Paul with a microphone basically two days or a day before his fight, right? That opened up a cut on Logan Paul's face, had a black eye on fight night. In real boxing, the fight's off. It's done. You, the fight, you've wasted all of that promotion, which is probably what Dennis wanted when you see the subsequent result in the ring, which was some <laughs> terrible... Terrible boxing. Um, If you want to call it that, he threw nine punches by the last round. Um, You know, that that is not the advert for boxing. So I guess the greater conversation is how many of the people that are tuning in to watch that carnage are then converted to wanting to follow the sport. And I get it why there are some boxers that think that doesn't align. You understand? they They don't think that that actually converts and marries up. Yeah, yeah. I mean... If you were watching, as you said, that that fight with Dylan Dallas and Logan Paul, it doesn't excite you to be a boxing fan. It doesn't want you to get stuck into boxing. And I think that's why traditional boxers are getting frustrated because it is undermining everything they do. But, you know, as Eddie Hearn said, you can't blame them for what they're trying to do. And I think if they keep them as separate entities, have sports entertainment and sport, that that's absolutely fine i think it's when you start to cross it over and you know tommy fury is somebody who who is doing that he's meant to be a professional boxer and he's fighting youtubers at the moment and i think that's where the line blurs and that's when it becomes problematic charlotte as we've said you are our ears and eyes on the ground in saudi arabia all week uh, what's to come from the rest of the week what can we expect from you and our coverage action-packed week for you you know I'm actually heading off after I record this podcast to the grand arrivals this evening now the grand arrivals is always a great 
time. You know, they they roll out the red carpet. They get celebrities from anywhere and everywhere to come and celebrate the start of fight week. You know, all of the boxers on the undercard, the main card, they all come along as well. We'll have the opportunity to speak to them. You know, Thursday, uh, Wednesday even, we've got the open workout. For those of you who don't know what the open workout is, each boxer on the card will get in the ring show us very little, but show us a little bit of what they've been doing in camp and we can kind of size them up, see how they've been doing. Um, Thursday, we've got the press conference. Now, this won't be as chaotic as the Misfits press conferences we've seen, but I'm expecting things to heat up a little bit. You know, at the last press conference in London, we saw Fabio Wardley and David Adelaide actually have a fight. Um, So... You know, that could be in store. I know there's a lot of bad blood between those two. Um, Friday, we've got the weigh-in. That's when we'll see all the fighters take to the scale, see what they weigh in at. And then um, I've got a couple of exclusive interviews coming with Amir Khan, Ricky Hatton, loads of names. I'm not going to rattle them all off, but they will all be going live on our Mail Sport YouTube channel. Good, I cannot wait. Uh, Tyson Fury will be in full promotional mode, uh, as I am right now, by encouraging you to follow Charlotte's work this week on the YouTube channel and online. It's going to be everywhere. Okay, that's all we have time for today. But thanks for being with us on the first installment of The Hook, supported by our corner men and women over at Paddy Power. Please remember to download the Mail Plus app. For all your breaking sports news stories, head to the Mail Online. For the full interviews with stars of the fighting world, subscribe to us on YouTube and for clips, head over to our social channels. But most of all, don't forget to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you listen to the show on and come back next and every Tuesday. I'm Alex McCarthy. I'm Charlotte Daly. And this is The Hook. The Hook.